Well, good morning again, church family. We're grateful that you're here on Father's Day. And again, we honor all the dads and hope you have a wonderful day. Hey, I want to also just say this because we didn't say it earlier. If you're able to call your dad, if you're able to reach out, if you're able to see your dad, make the effort today. Reach out, call dad, see dad, spend the time, and make sure that you let him know how much you love him, all right? If you got your Bible this morning, meet me in Genesis chapter 6. Genesis 6. And as you're turning there, I want to give you a head start. I want to just share a couple of other things with you really quickly. Um, Pastor Jeremy did such an outstanding job. Pastor Jeremy and Krista did a great, great job in directing all the things that happened here this past week with Bridge Kids Summer Day Camp. And we're so grateful for them. I know that they're not in service right now because Pastor Jeremy's taking care of our kids today. But I just want to take a moment and say thank you to Pastor Jeremy and Krista, but also to all of the amazing volunteers that, shirt, that uh, served throughout the past week here in the church. And um, I want to let you know just a few quick statistics. Over the course of this week, we had 138 people that volunteered to make Bridge Kids Summer Day Camp happen. And we're so grateful for your efforts. There were people that took vacation time. Some people took vacation time or they used their day off just to come and serve. And it was awesome. There were people that were here um, that don't even have kids. And they were just like, hey, we want to come and serve and be a part of it. And, man, it made such a huge impact. Let me tell you the kind of impact that you made. First, the bad news, okay? Your kids this week, they ate 2,400 snow cones. Um, that's way too many. I'm not even happy about that. My kids were here. Uh, we also served 1,395 cotton candies. How many people say amen to that? Man, your dentist is going to love you. <laughs> but seriously, the 138 volunteers that we had was amazing. But on Thursdays, every single year on the last day of summer day camp, we always give our kids the opportunity to bring a friend and let them come at a discounted rate. And this year, your kids brought 215 friends on the final day of kids camp this year. Which by the end of the week gave us a grand total of 613 kids that were running around here for Bridge Kids Summer Day Camp. And those statistics are awesome, but they don't mean as much unless we tell you the, best, the most important one. And that's this week, 360 kids gave their life to Jesus right here at the bridge. How cool is that? 360 360, that's a big number. So thank you so much for having your kids here, for supporting what happens, what happens here at the Bridge Kids Ministry. Thank you for letting your kids bring friends. I know it will make an eternal impact on their lives and plant that seed that Jesus is real and that God loves them. Amen? One other thing I want to do this morning before we get into the message. Um, today is Father's Day, and I know it's a special occasion, and we're going to talk, we're going to have a message here in a minute that's really dedicated to Father's Day specifically, but um, many of you know Pastor Nick, and, Nick Smith and his wife Jessica. Pastor Nick is, um, he oversees all of our connect groups, all of our serving teams, as well as our community care program. His wife Jessica is one of our main worship leaders. She leads right here on almost every Sunday morning, just about every weekend. Um, Jessica's father, Pastor Rick Pasquale, he spoke for us here last year at the bridge when we were doing church online only. Many of you will remember Pastor Rick. He's in the hospital today. And um, sorry, this touched my heart today because we're really believing and praying with, with Nick and with Jessica. But he needs a miracle today. Um, he's not been doing so good the last few days. And actually, Jessica flew back. And then a couple days later, Nick and his kids flew back to Missouri, to Springfield, Missouri, to be with them right now. And he's in need of a miracle but we believe that our God's a miracle-working God. 
So I, I just want to ask if we can take a moment right now. Can we just combine our faith and pray for Pastor Rick Pasquale this morning? Because I know that Nick and Jessica are standing in the gap and praying and just believing that God's going to touch him. Can we just do that together today and just believe for God to get involved? Would you join me right now? Father, we thank you so much for Pastor Rick. We thank you for the friend that he and Jennifer are to the church. We thank you for Pastor Nick and Jessica as well. We thank you for all of what that family means to us here at the bridge. And right now, God, we don't know all the details. We don't even understand all the details or the diagnoses. But we pray in Jesus' name that you would get involved because you are greater than sickness. You are bigger than disease, God. And we know, we believe that you are a healer. We believe in Jesus' name that you are the great physician just as the word declares and we believe that our healing was purchased as part of our atonement at the cross. So we stand here today in faith and declare that he be healed in Jesus' name. We declare that sickness has to go from his body today in Jesus' name and we speak to it today and say go Father in Jesus' name. We ask God that you would move in that we would see healing and health and a wholeness manifest in his body and today Father even if he can't fight for himself in the natural we stand and fight in the spiritual for him him and ask that he be healed. God, we know that you are good. We know that you are with them and for them. We lift up Jennifer today and pray that you would give her peace, Father, and that you would just surround her with your love today. We pray for Jessica and her siblings and all of the kids, God, that you would just wrap your arms around them on Father's Day today and give them your peace, which surpasses all understanding. God, we declare again that you are good and that you do all things well, and we know that when we put this in your hands, you will not fail us, God, and that your plans are always perfect. So we look to you today and ask for his healing and we stand together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying and agreeing with us today. How many of you believe in the power of prayer? You believe that God's still a healer? Amen. All right, this morning on Father's Day, I want to bring you a message, and I'm going to keep this as brief as possible because we're on a shorter time frame today. But I want to talk to you about four famous fathers. Four famous fathers. Fathers, And you're in Genesis chapter 6 right now. You know, Scripture is just filled with examples of fathers, many of which we get great detail about their lives, others that we don't get as much detail about their life. But one thing I know is that throughout Scripture there were fathers that were great fathers, and then there were also some not-so-great fathers. Sometimes there were some bad dads in Scripture. And I don't say that today to discourage anybody or to bring you down at all. We're going to celebrate the great dads, and we actually want to celebrate and emulate the great dads from Scripture. But we also have to be real and recognize that as fathers, we don't always get it right. We sometimes make mistakes. Sometimes our mistakes are small, but sometimes our mistakes can be big. And when we see those patterns laid out in Scripture, we have to make sure that we see the example and we learn from it. And I believe that's why God gave us his word when it comes to specifically being fathers and being parents so that we can learn from those who did it well and we can learn from those who did it not so well. So I'm going to look at a few examples of that today and I want to show you some lessons from these famous, or these, excuse me, these four famous fathers. Genesis 6 tells us the story of a very significant figure in the Old Testament, a man named Noah. It says this in verse 5, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have ever made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I'm going to read that one more time, but use another word that many of your translations might say. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, 
I read that passage of scripture to you to set up where we're going to be going with this story of Noah. Because in the days of Noah, God looked down and saw that all of humanity was evil, sinful, and there was iniquity, the scripture says, that it just plagued mankind. And so God, looking down for someone to throw his favor and bestow his blessing upon, only found Noah. The scripture says that Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of God. So the next thing that happens is God begins to speak to Noah and he says, listen, Noah, the earth is filled with sinfulness and iniquity and so I'm calling you to do something different, something drastic, something that I've never asked anybody else to do before. I want you to build an ark and here's why, because soon I'm going to destroy the earth or at least destroy all of those who are breathing and living upon the earth. I'm going to send a great flood. The rains will fall. The waters will come up from beneath the earth and there will be a flood that will destroy all living, breathing creatures. But you... You found favor, and I'm going to spare you and your family, and I'm going to send animals into the big ark, the boat as well. So I want you to do this. And the next thing that we see is that Noah starts to build an ark. Now, this idea of Noah building an ark would have been so totally foreign and crazy to the people of his day. And some of you, you know, you have a pretty good understanding of that, scripturally speaking, why the ark would have just been this wild idea to everybody else in humanity and in creation at that time. But I imagine that Noah, when he was called by God to build an ark because God was soon going to flood the earth, I imagine his initial reaction was probably, huh? You're going to do what? And you want me to do what? But you're going to rescue me. Okay. And Noah had faith that God was good and he was true to his word and that he was going to take care of him. Now, I want to explain more about this in just a moment, but here's the first lesson that I want to give you from the life of Noah that I think we as dads can take today, okay? Here's the first lesson. Number one, if you're taking notes, we need to teach our kids to be obedient to God no matter what the world might think about it. We need to teach our kids to be obedient to God no matter what the world might think about it. Like I said, this idea of Noah building an ark sounded crazy and foolish in the eyes of everybody else around him, except to Noah, he said, if God said this, then I'm going to do it. And somehow, some way, his family believed it as well. And when we talk about teaching our kids the ways of God, teaching our children about God's word and teaching them the right way to walk and live out their life, no matter what the world might think about it. One of the first things that comes to mind in the story of Noah is, you know, we don't know this to be exact fact, but there are many Bible scholars that question whether it had ever even rained at the time of Noah's life. They don't know if people had ever seen rain before. They certainly don't know if they'd ever seen a, a catastrophic flood or any sort of great flooding event happen in the earth at that time. Now, Scripture isn't black and white 100% clear on this, but one thing we know is that when Noah started building that ark, people probably walked by and said, Noah, what in the world are you building? Noah, what are you? How big is it going to be? Okay, so, so tell me about what this thing is again. What, what, but first of all, why are you even doing this? Well, because God told me. You're saying that God spoke to you. That's right. And what did he tell you? Well, he looked down upon the earth and he saw that we're all sinful and he saw our iniquity. And God's going to flood the earth and it's going to destroy every living creature. But in order for us to survive, God wants us to build an ark. He wants you to build a what? An ark. Well, what's an ark? Well, it's kind of like a boat. Well, what's a boat? Why would we need a boat? Well, because there's going to be a flood. Well, what's a flood? Now, again, we don't know scripturally, factually, if that's exactly how it was. But assuming that nothing like this had ever happened before, these people would have been looking at Noah like he was crazy. And yet Noah kept building. And Noah kept building. And Noah kept building. And I imagine that at some point in this journey, Noah's sons probably looked at their dad and said, Dad, did you really hear from God? How big is this thing going to be? And there's going to be animals on it too? 
how do you, how do you think, Dad, that we're going to get all these animals onto the boat? How is this going to go? And Noah says, you know what? I, it's not up to me to figure that out. It's up for God to perform on his promise. And I believe that Noah trusted God, and when he told his sons and went about being obedient to build this ark, there was something within his sons and something within his family that said, you know what, dad has always walked in God's blessing, and we have always walked in God's favor, and we have always been obedient every time that dad thought he heard from God. And if dad is saying that he's hearing from God on this, then we're going to trust that dad knows what he's talking about. And one of the quick things that I see here is that Noah was not afraid of what people around him would have thought. He just simply got busy doing the thing that God told him to do. Dads, moms, parents, we need to teach our kids to trust God and be obedient to his word, even if the world around us doesn't understand it. Even if the world around us wants to make fun of us. Even if the world around us wants to laugh at us, we have to understand that we are the sons and daughters of God. We are the children of God. And he's not called us to understand everything he's asking us to do. He's simply asking us and calling us to be obedient, trusting that he's got our final outcome in mind. Everybody with me this morning? And I think that when Noah got busy building that ark, I think his sons probably thought, well, this seems crazy. But you know what? God has always been good to us. And I have to trust that that dad knows exactly what he's talking about. We need to teach our kids to be obedient to God no matter what the world thinks about us. I'm going to give you a personal example of this. And I'm going to use my dad as an example because he's not here this morning. So, (laughs) hi, dad. I remember when I was probably 9, 10, 11 years old, something like that, my dad, uh, I'd asked my parents, I I really wanted to go see this movie. I can't even remember what movie it was. And so my dad took me to see the movie. And I remember my dad telling me, he was like, now listen, I don't know about this movie. I'm not so sure about this movie, what it's about, the content, this or that. You know, I don't remember what the movie was rated. But I know that my dad took me to see the movie because I wanted to see it. And I remember we got just a few minutes into the movie and my dad looking over and whispering at me and saying, if they keep talking like that, if they keep saying those kinds of things and doing those kinds of things, we're going to be out of here pretty quick. Because my parents had pretty harsh, not harsh, they had rules, they had regulations, they had standards in place for what they were going to allow me to see, for me to dwell on and take into my mind and into my heart. And I will never forget as a kid, as that stuff just continued in that movie, about five minutes later, my dad grabbing me by the hand and marching me down the row as we're knocking people's popcorn over, and then up the aisle and out the door of the theater. And we get out there, and I am so totally embarrassed. Why are we leaving when everybody else is staying? Why is it wrong for us if it's okay for them? I don't get it. I don't understand it. Why do we have to play by these rules? And I remember my dad looking at me and saying, I am not going to pay money to have that kind of junk put into your head and into your heart. In our family, we will not receive that stuff into our life because one day, he said, because one day I'm not going to stand before God to give an account for how you felt as we walked out of the movies. I'm going to stand before God and give an account for what I allowed you to take into your life. Now, there's a lot of people that might hear that today and be like, wow, your parents must have been really legalistic. Can I tell you something? Now that I have kids of my own, I'm super glad that they taught me that lesson. Because I've learned that there's a lot of junk that just because it says YouTube kids doesn't mean my kids need to watch it. There's a lot of stuff in the movies. There's a lot of stuff they can find on their tablets. There's a lot of stuff they can find on your phone that they don't need to see. They don't need to take in. And can I be honest with you? It might seem harsh in the moment. When we have to, you know, create these rules, create these standards, these boundaries around our kids. But again, we're not going to answer to God for how they feel. We're going to answer to God for what we allowed them to take in. And we need to be parents that are aware of that. We are going to teach our kids to be obedient to the word of God, to live according to his standards, regardless of what the world thinks about it. Amen? Amen. All right, I got you on board with me this morning. Now, 
we could spend a lot of time talking about the life of Noah, and I actually have more notes, but I love the way that Noah included his kids in his calling. God said, take your family with you on the ark. I, I bet Noah probably been like a flood, a boat, animals. Surely there's another way, God. Surely there's something else that you can do for my kids. But he trusted God, and he included his kids in his calling. I think a lot of times, dads, what we want to do is we want to take on the world. We want to conquer things. We want to go out and we want to win and achieve for our family. And sometimes in those efforts, we can leave our kids behind and our family behind. But Noah included his kids in his calling. He brought them on the boat, and they stepped into the destiny that God had for their life. And we have to learn that lesson and that example to include our families and our kids in our calling. You know, Proverbs 22.6 gives us a verse that many of us know so well, and we refer to it all the time on Father's Day, Mother's Day, child dedications. But Proverbs 22 says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. And that word way is talking about a couple of different things. It's talking about the natural gifts, talents, abilities that God has given each of us and our kids. But it's also talking about training up our kids in the ways of God. And what's crazy about this is that I look at Noah's sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. These dudes were not kids when their father took them on the boat. Noah was 600 years old when he built the ark. And later on, God shortened the lifespan of humanity to 120 years or so is what it says. And what's interesting about this is that by the time Noah's sons get on the boat with him, it's not like they're little kids and Noah's like, come on, guys, let's go, let's get on the boat, it's starting to rain. No, he built that thing for years and years and years, probably even decades, and when they saw him doing it, they trusted that he knew where he was going, and they chose on their own account, on their own accord, on their own behalf to get on the boat with Dad. Why? Because Dad included his kids in his calling. Every single day, Dads, we face big decisions. Every single day, there are dads in this room right now, you're looking down the future and you're thinking, do I do this? Do I do that? Do I take this path or that path? And can I be honest with you? Whatever path you choose, whichever direction you feel like God is calling you to go, bring your kids along for the ride on the calling. I know for me growing up, my parents were church planters. and Being a part of a church plant when I was a kid, church didn't just feel like something we always went to. It felt like something that we were a part of as a family. It wasn't work to us because we were a part of that family. Why? Because we were included in the calling that God had placed not on my parents but on our family. Bring your kids along. Include them in your calling and let them discover the goodness of God and the destiny that he has for their lives. And one last thing that I think is really important to say about Noah. You know, Noah looked crazy to the people around him when he started building that boat. There's people that probably made fun of him, probably called him names, probably harassed his family for this big boat, this big ark that he was building. Can I tell you something? When it started to rain, those people stopped laughing and they started knocking on the door of the boat. In Matthew 24, Jesus in the Olivet Discourse, he talks about the coming of the Son of Man, the return of the Son of Man one day. And you know what Jesus' words were? He said, it will be like the days of Noah where people are eating and drinking and being merry and carrying on about their life and they're marrying and giving in marriage and everything will be normal until the Son of Man returns. And this part of the message might not sound very Father's Day-ish, but can I tell you something? We're living in a pretty upside-down and broken world right now where a lot of us don't have our eye on the ball. We've got to be careful, dads. We've got to make sure that we keep our family on point. Why? Because just as in the days of Noah, the return of Christ could happen any day, and I want to be ready for it. I know that caught some of you off guard. But Jesus likened the days of Noah to the return of Christ, the coming of Christ. And I want to make sure that I'm ready when it starts to rain, that I'm already in the boat. Amen? That makes sense to everybody? All right. Now let's keep going here because I think one of the themes that we see with great dads, not just in the Bible but all throughout life, is that they're not perfect. 
right? I mean, we make mistakes. Dads, come on, first to admit it right here. We make mistakes. One of the things I find so interesting about the life of Noah was that God looked down and gave his grace and his favor to Noah, even though Noah was an imperfect man. I know that the word perfect there, that's talking about his condition and his posture toward God. doesn't mean that he was without sin. But what's fascinating about this to me is that when I look at Noah, we see a story later on where he makes a drunken fool of himself. He wasn't a perfect guy. But the standard, or I think the precedent that needs to be set right here before we go forward is simply this. Dads, God isn't asking for our perfection. He's just asking for us to be present. Present is better than perfect. When we have to walk through difficulties with our families, with our kids, with our jobs, with our, the workplace, our businesses, whatever it is it might be, when we have to walk through difficulties, our kids aren't always going to remember the times that we got it wrong. They're just going to remember that we were there for them when, we need, when they needed us the most. Amen. Present is better than perfect. Don't beat yourself up because of your mistakes. Don't beat yourself up because of your failures and your shortcomings. Be present in the life of your kids and help lead them into the destiny that God has for their life. Now, Noah understood that. He got it. He was present. He was there. He walked his kids into their destiny. He was a good dad. But I want to show you another example of two good men who weren't necessarily great dads. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2, another passage in the Old Testament. It says in 1 Samuel 2 of verse 12, and this is talking about a man named Eli and his sons. Now, the sons of Eli were corrupt, and they did not know the Lord. That's just one verse that I read right there, but that's a fascinating verse when you consider who this man Eli was. Eli was the most prominent priest or prophet to the nation of Israel during his time. And this was before the time of the kings. It was back in the time of the judges. And before, uh, later on, we would see kings be appointed. Eli was the most prominent voice from God to the nation of Israel. And he was a good man. He was a righteous man. He was an upright man. I mean, he was a priest and prophet of God. He was very much admired among the nation of Israel. But there was one problem. He had two sons who were horribly and terribly corrupt. They were sons who also were following in his priestly ways. And it wasn't necessarily because they were good guys. It was because they were of the Levitical line, the tribe of Levi, the priestly line. And so they're following in the footsteps of their father, except they did not know the Lord. And I just want to stop right here and make this point very quickly. And I don't have a lot of notes on this, but I think it's important that we understand this. It says in the second half of verse 12 there that Eli's sons did not know the Lord. Can I tell you this morning, there's a big, big difference between our kids knowing about God and knowing God. There's a big, big difference between our kids knowing God and knowing about God. A lot of times what we do is we say, well, if we just read a few stories or if we take them to church occasionally, they'll hear some things about God that might spark something in their heart and maybe they'll know enough about God that they'll be okay. No, no, no. Your kids, your kids need to know God for themselves and the way they're going to learn it is seeing you know God yourself. We have to teach our kids how to know God for themselves, how to be in his word and understand his word, how to pray, how to seek God, how to be thankful, how to give praise in their every ordin everyday ordinary lives, not just on Sundays, not just on the occasions that we come, how they can personally know God for themselves. And the way they're going to find it is through the way that we communicate and walk with God ourselves as parents. And with all of that said, you know, we see that picture of Eli being a good man, a righteous man, yet his sons have fallen short. Now, what Scripture tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 2 is that the sons of Eli, they were two guys named Phineas and Hophni, okay? Weird names, I know. 
But Phineas and Hophni, who were also priests, they did a couple of very, very corrupt things in the eyes of God. The people of Israel would come to the temple, and it said that they were ministers at Shiloh. They would come to the temple, and the people would come to bring sacrifices to God for the atonement of their sins, for worship. They would bring these sacrifices. And when that would happen, Scripture says that Phineas and Hophni would take the best of the sacrifice and keep it for themselves, and the people would sacrifice the leftovers to God. And God was not pleased with those sacrifices, but the people started to despise the sacrifice to God because they saw it being corrupted by the priests themselves. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, the other thing that the scripture says, and I'm not saying this to be explicit, this is just what it tells us. It says that Phineas and Hophni had inappropriate sexual relationships with the women who served in the temple. So in other words, these dudes were not living godly lives. So Eli, who's a good man and a priest, is justified right before God, revered by everybody, but his sons are corrupt. Here's the thing that I want to point out to you, a lesson, first lesson that we can learn from the life of Eli. Dads, we need to tell our kids the truth about right and wrong. We live in a day where right and wrong seems to be fleeting. Everything's okay. Do what you want. It's all grace. It's all covered by the blood. No, God is very, very clear in his word that he sees certain things as right and other things as wrong. And dads, we're going to give an account to God for what we told our kids was right and what was wrong. Man, not many amens on that one. Dads, we need to tell our kids the truth about right and wrong. Let me just say this again. There is a right and there is a wrong in the eyes of God. And if we don't believe it now, we're going to find out later. Our kids need to know that walking in God's ways will bring blessing into their lives, but remaining in our own sinfulness will bring destruction upon our lives. Zach, this doesn't sound like a very uplifting Father's Day message. Yeah, but can I tell you something? If we can learn to get it right, and if we can learn how to show our kids what's right and what's wrong and to walk in God's ways, man, we will see blessing flow into their life. But it's up to us to do it. It's up to us to do it. And so I see this picture of Eli, and what's interesting about this is I read one Bible scholar's commentary on this, and he was talking about how Eli's sin here was the sin of permissiveness. He permitted it. He knew about it, but he refused to correct it. He knew about it, but he refused to address it. He knew about it, but he did not want to confront his own sons in their sin. And I think sometimes one of the things that happens, you know, we talked about generational curses a couple of weeks ago. I'm not saying that God wants to send generational curses, but if we don't tell our kids the truth, there are things that are going to follow them for generations, and I believe that we will stand before God, and if we knew better, God's going to say, why didn't you tell them the truth? Eli's sin was the sin of permissiveness. He let it happen, and he refused to deal with it. He refused to confront it. So here's what's crazy. Eli, being the priest in the temple, has a young protege brought into his life. Many of you will know his name, Samuel, begotten of Hannah, miraculously by God. And Hannah says, I'm going to raise him in the temple. She brings him, and she drops him off right there for for the priest to raise him in the temple. What's crazy about it is Samuel is now the protege, the young protege of his mentor Eli, And so Samuel is starting to hear from God, and Eli wants to help him develop that relationship. And it's interesting that Eli is developing the spiritual son, Samuel, and how to hear from God and walk in his ways, yet his own sons are a mess. So the very first time that Samuel starts to hear from God, Eli is helping him out, and he says, don't hold back. I want to know what God is telling you. I want to know what God is speaking to you. And Samuel says, okay, you asked, I'm going to tell you. And he looks at Eli, and he says, Eli, your sons are sinful, and destruction and death is coming upon them if you don't do something about it. Imagine a boy telling that to you as an adult. That's what happened to Eli. And so he tells him about coming destruction. And the sad part of the story is that's exactly what happens to Phineas and Hophni. And not only that, but it happens to Eli as well. 
But here's the second half of this. Samuel, the young protege, one day becomes an adult himself. And I'm sure Samuel remembered back in the day, man, when God spoke to me for the first time, he gave me a strong word for my mentor. That hurt. It was difficult to tell him. But what we see in 1 Samuel chapter 6 is that the elders of Israel come to Samuel one day and they say, Samuel, you're a good man. You're an upright man. You're a righteous man. And we respect you and we revere you, but your sons, they're corrupt. This means that even though he gave instruction to Eli about his sons, he himself had the exact same problem, was unwilling to deal with the sinfulness of his own kids. Guys, we can't be afraid to tell our kids the truth because we're going to stand before God for it one day. I know that sounds harsh, and I know you're like, gosh, we came to church today to be encouraged, not discouraged. Listen, we will be encouraged when we see our kids walking in the ways of God and blessing coming into their life. But here's the second part of this, and this is the second lesson, and we'll move to the last picture here, okay? If you're taking notes here, another lesson that we can learn from Eli and Samuel. Dads, our kids need to learn from our mistakes. Our kids need to learn from our mistakes. You know, when our kids are really small and really young, they're not, re- not yet ready to handle the reality of the mistakes that we've made, the times where we've got it wrong, the times that we've messed up. They might not be ready for that, but as they grow and as they mature and we look at our kids and we see the paths that they're choosing... There's a lot of times that we look at it and we say, man, I remember when I was at that crossroads. I remember the poor decision that I made. And when we find ourselves in those moments, it's our opportunity to look at our kids and say, guys, I got it wrong. When I was standing in your shoes, when I was at that crossroads, when I had that decision in front of me, I got it wrong. But this is your opportunity to get it right. Here's where I missed it. Here's where I messed up. But you, this is your chance to get it right. And we need to help our kids to learn from our mistakes. Dads, one of the best things that you can do for your kids is to be transparent and tell the truth. I mess up sometimes. And I know you're going to face this too, but let me show you how you can get it right. And I say all this as humbly as I know how. I'm a young dad. My oldest is only seven years old. Man, I'm learning this right now. But I'm grateful that my dad started to do this with me and even tell me about some of his mistakes. Speaking of that, I have a picture that I want to show you guys. I hope we have it for the screen. That's my dad. You guys know my dad, Pastor Gary. The reason why I love that picture, um, my dad's aunt, my great aunt, her name is Lena, she sent me that picture in the mail the other day. I didn't know it was coming to me. She actually sent it here to the church. I got the envelope, I opened it up, and I saw that picture. And, man, you guys know I'm just, I'm a softie, so, like, I get a little emotional. I'm just like, oh, man, I see this picture, and I thought, wow, look at my dad. Then I looked a little bit closer and I remembered that day that that picture was taken because that day was my dad's 40th birthday. I won't tell you how many years ago that was. (laughs) But the reason why it was so special and sentimental to me is because I am right now the same age that my dad was in that picture. I'll tell you how many years it was. It was almost 28 years ago that that picture was taken, but I remember it like it was yesterday, that day. In that 28 years, there's been a lot of life that's happened. It hasn't always been perfect. A lot of great, a lot of highs, a lot of wonderful things. A lot of challenges as well. You can take the picture down now. (laughs) Dad's probably watching at home like, what are they doing with that picture on the screen this whole time? (laughs) 
But I remember the day that I got that picture, I was actually just pondering some stuff for myself and for my own family, just thinking, you know, planning ahead, looking into the future, making sure that we're prepared. God, are we doing our best? Are we being diligent for the future? You know how it is. Sometimes you feel like you're just never as ready as you need to be for the future that's in front of you. And the day that that picture came in the mail, I looked at it and I felt like it was from God that I got that picture that day because I looked at it and said, it's been this many years down the road. And it was like God saying, here's you and here's him. Same age, same stage. I got all these years in front of you and I'm calling you into something. Trust me, do your best and I'm going to walk you into the plan that I have for you. But I wanted to show you that picture today because I love it because it allows me to look back and see the amount of space from then till now. One of the favorite things that I get to do with my dad, you know, we work together, but one of my favorite things we get to do is during the week we'll go to lunch and we'll talk about life, we'll talk about church, we'll talk about the future, we'll talk about plans and just things that we see coming up in church life. And one of the things that I've grown to admire about my dad, and I'm sorry that I'm bragging on my dad for a minute, but one of the things that I've grown to admire about my dad is that my dad will look at me and he'll correct things sometimes. I didn't used to like that very much. But now I'm okay with it. Because he says to me all the time, he says, Zach, I don't want you to be the kind of man I am, the kind of pastor I am, the kind of leader or dad that I am. I want you to be better than me. And I'll tell you how we do that, dads. We're honest about our mistakes. When there's a place that we can help our kids learn because we missed the mark somewhere, we just tell them the truth. We show them that same crossroads and say, I did this, but you can do that. Dads, we've got to be honest with our kids. Let's be transparent. Amen? Let's tell them the truth. I look back over these years and I recognize my dad wasn't always perfect, but you know what? My dad was always present. Always present. All right, very last picture I want to show you. In closing, this is where I want to wrap today. I'm going to do this really, really briefly so we can get all this across. But if you look at Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, in Matthew chapter 1, we see the explanation. And I don't have time to read the whole scripture right now. But God saw goodness in Joseph's life. He saw Joseph as being righteous, and he chose him to be the earthly father of Jesus, not his biological father, his earthly father. It's amazing that God would do that. And when I look at this, I'm reminded of how Joseph made the decision to be present in Jesus' life, even though he didn't have to be. Not his biological son. Sure, he was engaged, betrothed to Mary. But man, he could have looked at the whole situation and said, this is crazy. And in that passage in Matthew, we see that Joseph has this dream where the angel comes and tells him everything that's going to happen and who Jesus is going to be. And all of this sounds crazy, and he knows that he's going to face it from the community that he lives in. He knows that nobody's probably going to believe the story. And tell, when he tells that story about the dream, he knows people are going to be like, what are you even talking about? That sounds crazy. But yet when he wakes up to, from the dream, what does he do? He says, yes, I'm in. I'm in, God. And he chose to be the dad that he didn't have to be. I want to read some things to you real quick because... We live in a day where we're told all the time about what a, what a terrible you know, thing COVID has done to our society. Let me tell you what fatherlessness has done to our society. Seven out of every 10 youth that are housed in state-operated correctional facilities come from a fatherless home. 39% of students in the United States from the first grade to their senior year of high school do not have a father at home. Children without a father are four times more likely to be living in poverty than children with a father. Children from fatherless homes are twice as likely to drop out of school before graduating than children who have a father in their lives. 24.7 million children in the U.S. live in a home where their biological father is not present. That equates to one in every three children in the United States not having access to their father. Teen girls from fatherless homes are four times, four times more likely to become mothers before the age of 20. 
Children who live in a single-parent home are more than two times more likely to commit suicide than children in a two-parent home. Only 60, 68% of children will spend their entire childhood with an intact family. Living in a fatherless home is a contributing factor to substance abuse, with children from such homes accounting for 75% of adolescent patients being treated in substance abuse centers. And finally, 90% of the youth in the United States of America who decide to run away from home or become homeless for any reason originally come from a fatherless home. That's a lot of statistics, and if you could see how much more there are, it's just the tip of the iceberg. COVID's done some damage to our nation, our world, nothing like what fatherlessness has done to our society for generations. That's why God identified himself as father starting at Exodus chapter 4 when he says, I'm coming to rescue my kids. Stepdads, foster dads, you guys are heroes because you're stepping in and being dads, even though in the natural you might sit there and say, wow, that sounds tough, that sounds difficult, it's a difficult situation. You guys are absolute heroes for stepping in and being fathers in the lives of kids who need a dad as much as they need anything else. I think right now we should give it up for our foster dads, for our stepdads. I bet when Joseph stepped into that role at first, he thought, ah, this is awkward, this is kind of weird conceived by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but yet he chose to be the dad that in the natural many would have said he didn't have to be. He chose to do it. He chose to go all the way. The last thought I want to give you today, you know, Joseph later on kind of disappears from the biblical narrative. We don't know why. We don't know how. When Jesus goes to the cross, there's no more record of Joseph being around. We know that Jesus had earthly siblings, but we don't know what happened to him. We don't know if he died. Many Bible scholars believe that was the case. But it reminds me that we don't know how many days we have on this earth with our kids. Last lesson I want to point out to you is, dads, we need to value the time that we have with our kids. Because we're not going to be here forever. And if they outlive us like we plan for them to, they're going to need to have as much influence as we can give them in the days that we have. We need to be here for our kids because we're not going to be here forever. In closing this morning, and I'm sorry if we've gone a little bit long, but I wanted to make sure that we got all of this out. My thoughts today go out to four groups of people. First thought, obviously, is for the great dads who deserve to just be commended and congratulated. Thank you, great dads, for being present for raising your kids to know God, for always being there for your family. Thank you. Thank you for accomplishing and achieving for the kingdom of God and for your family. Thank you. We commend you and we celebrate you today. I think about those of us dads who are here today and we hear this message, but we recognize that we can keep doing better. Today my prayer is that God would give you the strength and the courage and the wisdom and the direction to see how it is that you can be the dad he's called you to be. doesn't mean that you're perfect, but you're present. You're willing to learn. And you have the courage to go forward and keep doing better for your family and for your kids. I think about those who have negative experiences with the father figures in their life. Maybe today as we've talked about a loving heavenly father, it's hard for you to understand that because you've only had a bad earthly father. That's a reality in this day and age in which we live. It always has been. I want to tell you something today. Even if you don't know the love of an earthly natural father, your heavenly father loves you so much. He loves you so much. And I believe that he wants you to experience his love and his welcoming embrace into his family.
I also turn my attention today to those who have lost their fathers. And today's a difficult day. My prayer today, my prayer for you is that you would experience the love and the presence of God in such a way that you, like you never have before in your life. As you walk through Father's Day today, you might think about the absence of a father or the hurt that's left behind. And as you consider that, that you'll just open up your heart and say, God, even though my heart hurts, I believe that you love me and that you want to walk this day with me and that you want to remind me of just how invaluable I am to you. I also think about people that don't have a relationship with God at all. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you don't feel worthy of a relationship with God. Maybe you feel like there's so much that's gone wrong, how could that possibly go right? I want to tell you something today. God loves you so much that he sent his very best, Jesus, in exchange for your very worst, your sin your imperfection, my imperfection. That if we would just put our faith in him, he would allow Jesus to bridge that gap and walk us into a relationship with him. If you've never made a decision to invite God into your life by saying yes to Jesus, I wanna give you that opportunity today. I'm sorry that we've gone a couple minutes long, but this is worth it. This is worth it. I wanna invite everybody right now if you would just bow your head for just a moment. This moment isn't about me. It's not about the church. It's about you and God. If you think about your life today and you take an inventory of your life, you see what's there and what's not, maybe you'd say, Zach, I don't have a relationship with God. That's not something that I see when I look at the list of things that I have in my life. You might have stuff. You might have money. You might have a wonderful family and a wonderful job, but if you don't have a relationship with God, if you've never said yes to Jesus, then eternity is unsettled. If you've never given Jesus the opportunity to come into your life, I want to tell you something today, friend. He died for the chance to know you. I want to invite everybody just to pray a prayer right after me. It's not about magic words. It's about the commitment in your heart to say yes to Jesus and invite him into your life. And if you want to do that today for the first time or even for the tenth time, we're going to pray that prayer together and just commit ourselves to Christ today. Would you open your heart and invite him in? Repeat these words right after me. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you went to the cross for me. I believe you are the son of God and I believe that because of your sacrifice I am forgiven. So today I choose you. I want to follow you. I want to know you all the days of my life. From this day forward I consider you my father and I want to be your child. Thank you for receiving me. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Listen, we're going to be done in about two minutes, but hang tight for just a second here because this is very important. If you made that decision to follow Jesus today, we want to help you start your new walk of faith. This is not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning of the life that God has for you. Right after service, we have a free gift that we want to give you, a simple tool called the Next Seven Days. There's a couple of ways that you can get it. Against these side walls down here on the floor, our prayer teams will be there. Just walk up to them. Let them know you made a decision to follow Jesus. They'll give you the book. No strings attached. We don't need anything from you. We're just here to help. If you need special prayer, that's why our prayer teams are here as well. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, stop by the Next Seven Days desk. It's between the glass doors before you exit the building. Our team would love to give you that book and help you get started in your walk with God because we're so grateful you made that decision and we feel like it's our responsibility to help you get started in the journey. So congratulations, well done, good decision. Can we just put our hands together this morning and welcome people into God's family? Awesome. Hey, give my wife a big welcome. She's coming to close us out this morning. Hey, can we thank Zach for that message? That was so good, babe. So proud of you. 
Hey, before we go today, we're going to do something that we love to do here at the bridge, and we're going to bring our tithes and offerings this morning. And you know, This is just another way that we worship God. We're worshiping him with our giving. And the cool thing about this is that when we bring our tithes and offerings into the storehouse, into the church, as the Bible talks about, we're being obedient sons and daughters of what our Heavenly Father has asked us to do. But not only that, we're also partnering with what God is doing here through the bridge, throughout our valley, throughout the globe, all across the world, and all of our missions that we're a part of. And so what a cool thing that we get to be a part of in partnering with God and what He is doing here on the earth today. So if you'd like to contribute into this offering today, there's a few different ways to give here on the screen, but we just want to thank you. You are such an incredible church. You're a generous church, and and we couldn't do what we do here at the bridge without each and every single one of you and your generous heart. So thank you so much. We're about to conclude our service here in just a moment. But before we do that, I just want to pray for our offering. Pray over you. So will you stand to your feet with me? And we're going to ask God to bless you and bless this offering. God, I thank you so much for this day, Lord. I thank you for an opportunity to sow into your house, God, to sow into what you are doing here in the Temecula Valley and beyond. God, I pray right now, Father, that you would bless each and every single person that sows into this offering, God. I thank you that you're going to make this go further than we could ever make it go on our own, Father. We thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray your blessing upon the offering. I pray your, pray your blessing upon your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we have loved being in church with you today on Father's Day. And on your way out, as is our tradition, we've got some dad root beers for each and every single one of the dads in the house. Just want to say happy Father's Day to you. Hang out. We've got the car expo. We've got photo booths. Get some pictures with your families. Have the best day ever. We love you, and we'll see you next week.